Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, coming to you from Dubai. Today I will be joined by reading intervention specialist and literacy leader Alice Vissafuri to discuss reading cultures in schools, supporting students with low reading confidence and promoting a love of reading. Join in the discussion by texting or calling in. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca, coming to you from a not so sunny Dubai today. I hope everybody who is listening in has survived their Monday and the weekend isn't too much of a distant memory. I'm at my penultimate week before half term and I'm really starting to feel it. Um, I've got one online parent evening this week and an informal lesson observation to see me through. And then the countdown to the holidays can finally really begin. Um, So as I mentioned today, Dubai is not so sunny and we've been braced but have managed to luckily avoid a huge tropical storm. Um, After a hot and very humid summer, the change of temperature has been very welcome today especially while I've been outside on playground duty, but I am thinking of all those affected, especially in neighbouring Oman, including Krishna, one of our Teachers Talk Radio hosts who lives in Muscat. So it's been two weeks since I was last with you on Teachers Talk Radio, and what a two weeks it has been. Um, Super, super busy, as always, um, but my house move is officially complete. And school has been busier than ever. I think we're all starting to feel a kind of crunch point now as we're getting closer and closer towards half term. I know I certainly am. Um, But a lot of exciting things have been happening, which has been wonderful. Lots of new things in my new school. Um, If anyone has been listening before, they'll have heard my interview with Ian Turner a few weeks ago. He works for Reading Solutions UK and they have an online reading program called Reading Plus. Um, it's an online library and program and it's excellent because it's designed to support children's fluency and then their comprehension with reading. So last week we finally became the first school with our students and I am absolutely thrilled with the buzz and excitement it has created around reading in the school. Um, we've set up various competitions just looking at developing progress, developing confidence, and students have really, really taken the whole thing on board. So we're now on our race to our first million word readers, both as a class and individual students. Um, The competition is heating up very quickly already, which is wonderful. And it's great to have that dialogue finally happening around the school. We are a very small secondary school. We come as part of a very well-established primary, which is now developing into a secondary school environment. 
So we're up to year nine now and we have 190 students on roll. So it's quite nice in a way to be able to see and be able to track that progress with our students. Um, in this respect, setting something up of this nature and constantly reinforcing it is actually the easiest it's ever been for me in the kind of role that I've had either being head of English or leading on reading and key stage three. Um, because I teach more than half of the students that are actually on roll in one capacity or another. So it's been something that I have been able to constantly reinforce, which has been quite wonderful. And as well, our teaching team is incredibly small. However, that's actually been great in terms of communication because we are actually able to keep picking up issues as they go across. And I'm just really, really hoping that as we continue to embed and grow our reading culture as well as the school starts to grow, we can really build on these foundations and it can become part of our inherent culture. Um, as I've mentioned many times before, my role is new and the school is obviously developing. And it is just so wonderful to have the opportunity to build and create a reading culture inherently as part of our new school. Last week, I had my first meeting with the Open University. Um, I'm starting the Reading for Pleasure. It's an online, it's the Open University Reading for Pleasure group. And I would thoroughly recommend their website. Anybody who's listening today, if you Google the Open University Reading for Pleasure group and have a look, their website is absolutely amazing in terms of looking for resources and sharing ideas in terms of projects. And the projects can be ranging from something very, very small um, to something quite massive. Um, it's all rooted in the theory from Teresa Kremen. And so I'm really enjoying getting to grips with having a look at the things that she's been doing and actually being able for the first time to actually put a lot of her theory into practice. Um, so yeah, I would thoroughly recommend having a look at this for anybody who is thinking about building a reading culture in their school. And I have a few weeks now before our next meeting and I have to decide on an outline for my project. Now, me being me, I'm currently at the stage where I want to do everything. I want to take it all on board and I want to get started. But, you know, advice always says to start small, start manageable. So I'm having a really good time now thinking and looking and kind of formulating my ideas and trying to decide the angle that I want to take. Um, there's loads of different routes into the project, um, looking at knowledge of children's literature, looking at children as readers and looking at what they're actually you know, thoughts and feelings are about reading, rooting it completely in pedagogy, looking at being a reading teacher and modeling a reading culture, and then also developing interactive reading communities and really involving our families. So as you can imagine, I'm feeling very, very spoilt for choice when I am looking, you know, at the start of what feels like a huge mountain to climb when we're looking at building a reading culture and actually thinking about where is going to be the best place to start. So I am really hoping that after today's conversation with Alice, I'm going to be able to hone and refine my thinking a little bit. So no pressure to Alice when she comes and joins me in a few minutes time, because I'm definitely got a lot of questions to ask her in that kind of respect as well. Thinking about looking as students, as readers, and thinking about my knowledge of children's literature, I do know that that is something that I want to develop. And if anybody listening today has 
come across Alice and her resources before, you will know she's really inspirational in terms of promoting and loving and celebrating children and young people's literature. Um, in Dubai, we have an annual literature festival run by the Emirates Airline, Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. And that is also starting to gather some traction in my school this year. Um, they have a series of competitions, writing competitions, and um, public speaking. But one thing they do have is um, a Reader's Cup. And so this week, I've been so excited because I've been able to select four students. And I don't often cherry pick the gifted and talented. I like to really, for me, and something that I'll be talking about a lot with Alice today, for me, reading is about supporting those who really struggle and trying to develop a bit more of a love and confidence for those students. Um, but it has actually been really lovely to take it from a different angle and work with these four students, all girls, passionate readers, and share with them three different texts that I would never have picked for myself to read or for my classes to actually discuss in an informal basis. Um, we're having now weekly book club meetings where we discuss the books. And then in November, we have our first round of quiz questions. Now, I'm feeling very, very quietly confident that these girls are absolutely going to smash it because they devour books day and night. Um, but it's going to be really, really good to see. And again, this is a very new experience to me. It's not something I've ever participated in in Dubai before. So I am really, really looking forward to that. And it's something that I will be keeping you posted over over the next few weeks of the show. So along with setting up Reading Plus and looking at our reading culture and developing Reading for Pleasure and looking at the Reading for Pleasure group, I've also been putting together the final touches for my first article with the International Schools Network. So like I said, I've been very, very busy and I'm loving it. Um, my first ever introduction to Teachers Talk Radio was a pre-recorded interview with Freya Rodell talking about teaching internationally and a love of English. And I did say to Freya at the time that this was my time to be a little bit braver and start actually putting pen to paper and putting myself out there a little bit because I've long admired everybody in education circles who have blogged or written and it's just so lovely to actually now start to be doing something similar myself and feeling a little bit braver in that respect. So my first piece is about supporting reluctant, struggling and EAL readers. So it's definitely a hot topic for me at the moment and something that, again I can't wait to talk about with Alice today. So in a moment, I'm going to play the adverts and then I will be joined by Alice Visafuri to discuss reading cultures, promoting a love of reading and supporting those who struggle. So join us after this because I can't wait. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash 
Phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things Black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history, here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello and welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, coming to you from Dubai. Um, joining me is Alice Bissafuri. She is a reading intervention specialist, a literacy leader and English and history teacher, to name but a few of her skills. Um, so hopefully Alice will be joining me in a moment, but she is a passionate advocate for promoting a love of reading. I have followed Alice on Twitter for years and have used a lot of her resources and have absolutely loved being able to share them with my students. So the fact that Alice is on the show with me today is massive. I'm really, really excited. Um, Alice has a website, it's readingforpleasureandprogress.com, which she regularly updates with blog posts, resources, and ideas. So, Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. It's absolutely my pleasure. It um, has real privilege to um, speak to you about reading for pleasure today. Honestly, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to get so many ideas from you myself. And I know a lot of people have seen a lot of people interested on Twitter today who are thinking very much the same as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm really pleased to be here. And um, I'm, I have a bit of a scratchy throat, so apologies for that. And um, just in the nick of time, the internet came back up. So, uh, so looking good. And um, yeah, looking forward to talking reading. Fantastic, and thank you so much for joining, even though you have got a sore throat. Thank you so much for soldiering on with us today. No worries. So I'd like us to kick off, please, if you could just tell me and everybody who's listening about yourself and about your career to date. Sure. So as you can hear from my accent, I come from the United States originally, and I actually qualified to teach back in 1991, so I'm that old. Um, I qualified to teach history and almost immediately moved to Europe. And um, I lived in the Netherlands for three years with my Dutch fiance, um, who became my husband, worked in international schools there. So I taught IGCSE and IB for a couple of years in history. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Stockholm and taught there for a year. I taught uh, again IB and IGCSE. And then I had my first child in Stockholm. Then we moved to Dublin and lived there for six years. And I had three more children, including a set of twins. Uh, so that kept me busy. And then we moved to Germany for three years. And um, there I did, I learned German, but I began thinking about doing a master's in children's literature. And um, when I moved to the UK in, in 2005, I began that. So 2005, I started master's in children's literature at Roehampton University, distance learning. Mm -hmm. Did that over a couple of years. And that sort of um, reflected, both reflected and sparked my interest in and passion for children's literature. 
So yeah. Is, I've had quite a lot of uh, experience abroad in a variety of different countries and seen different educational systems. So it's uh, been a privilege to be able to see all, all everything in action. That's fantastic. I mean, international teaching is obviously something that I cover quite a lot. I'm going to completely digress to start with and just ask, you know, I do ask anybody who is an international teacher, for anybody that's listening, would you recommend it? What are the peaks for you about international teaching? So... I absolutely loved it. So I um, experienced international teaching. And also, of course, I was a parent um, in, in international schools. So mm-hmm. I had it from both ends. Uh, absolutely loved the range of um, people that I met and the diversity of opinions. Uh, I thought it was a privilege to work in that environment. I'd say the hardest thing is that there's a turnaround. So around 30% of the teachers or um, students leave every year. And it's people you become close to end up leaving and I found that challenging but um, it was a very valuable experience and I absolutely love the IB program Um, that's by far the best that I've ever taught. Okay that's fantastic because IB is not something that I've actually started teaching yet but it's something that I know that I'm definitely gonna have to skill myself up with because it's becoming even more prevalent especially in the Middle East now so something definitely and then also you did your master's distance learning so you were you were akin to this way before the rest of us were. Yeah. Way back when, before they even had um, you know, the Zoom versions, etc. Mine was just emails and uh, readings and email back type thing. I did go to the campus in London a couple of times, uh, but it was mostly distance learning, which suited me because I had young children. Well, this was it for us because, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we were kind of waiting to hear if we had bad weather because in the Middle East, like when you're in the UK, you get a snow day, we get rain days. and so prior to covid a rain day meant a day off and today we're all like i wonder if we'll get distance learning like (laughs) oh my goodness it was like no keep us in the classroom (laughs) so that took you up to 2005 so what's been happening for the last few years yeah yeah so um when i came to the uk i uh did the masters in children's literature and then i went back into working in a library so a library has been a theme throughout my life i worked first job when i was 15 was at a library I worked in a bookseller in university after university. I worked in a library and that's actually where I met my husband. Okay. And then I worked in another library part-time. It was a school library slash uh, public library in, um, so it was a combo library in, and it was a part-time job uh, while my children were still young. And I did that for about three years, uh, three, four years. And then um, 2013, I went back into teaching. So uh, at that point I decided actually I was ready to return to the classroom and I did schools direct and the easiest avenue for me was English. And I had just finished that master's in children's literature a few years before. So mm-hmm. I thought, actually, I want to go in that direction. And um, then I've been teaching English for the last number of years and picked up history in the last two years, but very quickly. And I think you've got questions coming about this, but I identified that there was work to be done as far as reading for pleasure was concerned. So that became an area that I wanted to uh, make a difference in. I think it's amazing as well when you can identify something that's also your passion that then you know definitely. And I think coming in a little bit older gave me the confidence to just go for it um, because I thought, well, you know, (laughs) I've had experience, life experience in various countries and I've seen how things can work and how things don't work. And, and actually doesn't really mind. I didn't, you know, that, you know, you talked earlier about being brave and um, I think that uh, having lived in all those places helped me to, be a little bit braver and just go for it and say, well, actually, I see an issue here and here's a way to address it and I'm going to help. I think, yeah, definitely. You're right. An experience. I was also saying at the beginning, like doing this reading for pleasure group with the Open University at the moment, my natural response is wanting to do everything. 
and yeah. what I'm really having to learn especially in my new role in the job that I've just started is it's okay to just take it a little bit slow and yeah, you know exactly. just little bit yeah. at a time and chip yeah, one away step at a time yeah. build it that way yeah and that's uh, it's a journey right so it is not something you can achieve there's no magic wand to wave her, to make a school how you want it to be overnight but um no. it's a journey yeah and you tweeted that the other day and I think that was so important there isn't a magic wand when we're talking mm. about building and changing creating a culture you know that that does take time and it does take patience yeah yeah so yeah Okay, so you've kind of touched on it already, but could you just go into a little bit more detail about what ignited your passion for promoting a love of reading? Yeah, so I talked about my experiences in libraries, and I always loved reading myself, but I think the first sense that I had that it was a vocation was when my children were young, and I saw the power of story to absorb. It was sort of the bond that was created through the emotional connection with books mm -hmm. that inspired me to do that MA in children's literature. And I thought, wow, this is uh, the joy and the shared experience of story that I have with my own children. I wanted to find out more about um, that field and why stories are so powerful and what the impact is on children and why that impact is so significant. So, um, I, and I read various things around that. I read Jim Trelease's, um Read Aloud uh, book back then and was looking into ways to further inspire my children. And I remember um, little things like when uh, my twins were newborns, really only a week or two old, I began to read aloud and my sister was living with me at the time. And she said, you are nuts. What are you doing? Uh, why are you reading to you know, one week old babies? And um, I just continued to do that. And I would say, you know, um, this is um, The Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson, et cetera. And I would always say that. And by the time they were six months old, they couldn't speak, but I could say, can you get me a book by Julia Donaldson? And they'd go and collect the books. And my sister said, actually, you weren't crazy. <laughs> yeah. It really works. But I just saw that. And our family has really um, that shared sense of love of reading. And it's meant so much to us. And I wanted to pass that on. And um, so the passion for promoting reading um, is about that joy that it's brought us, but also about the way that it helps us to develop empathy and understanding that comes about as a result of reading. And I found my own children, myself, and all the students that I've worked with over the last number of years um, develop this greater empathy um, because of the experience of reading. So yeah, in a school context, I wanted that same emotional connection for my students um, that we had had as a family. I think that's wonderful. I think coming from a reading family and a reading background, um, I probably kind of took for granted that people had had similar experience. You know, that's a very naive thing to say and it's a very naive thing to admit to, but you just assume, don't you, that everybody kind of has had a similar experience or relationship to books when the same that you had when you were a child or that maybe you've passed on with your children. So mm -hmm. I think for me, it is, again, it's about being able to create something similar in a school context, in a school environment. But that thing that you just said about empathy, I've just written that down and circled it because that's something that I say to parents when I'm communicating mm. with them as well. I think it's so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a reading culture in school, a positive one, you know, one where we're talking about books, they're a constant source of communication. Why is that so important? So... I think overarching reason is to motivate and inspire students to become lifelong readers. And uh, why do we want them to become lifelong readers? I go through the, I have the slide that we show um, to all our students and um, we talk about again and again, and that's not just English teachers, 
all tutors um, talk about why read. Uh, why do we insist on a reading culture at KAs? Why do we do everything we can to promote it? And I've got these five reasons. Um, and, you know, one is obviously linked to academic success. So reading for pleasure leads to progress. And there's yeah. all kinds of research, which everybody listening will be familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then I talked about the, the second one I talked about already, that reading le helps to increase empathy. And there's research to show that as well. And I talk about the importance of that and give examples of text of how we become more empathetic by going into the minds of characters who experience things that maybe we've never experienced. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I talk about um, reading culture is important or we read because it helps us to de develop our confidence and improve self-esteem. So even now after decades of reading, um, every time I finish a book, there's sort of this little rush. And I see that again and again among every level of reader. So um, students who have not read anything in primary school, come to KAs and um, have read, you know, seven books or something, they are really proud each time and that beaming smile. Um, you can see the self-confidence oozing out of them um, mm -hmm. and developing over um, because they're able to finish these books. Um, so then we've got um, the reading fosters understanding of complex issues. So that's sort of linked to the empathy, but there are situations we would never find ourselves in that it's important for us to understand or as teenagers grow and change they come across difficult situations and it's hard to know how to understand those situations um, or it could also be that you've experienced something difficult yourself so grief for example and then yeah. you find in a book that actually somebody the character represents exactly how you feel so Reading helps us with complex situations. And of course, reading's enjoyable. So it's the, uh, uh, when you are a fluent reader and you can get into the world of a book, it's an enjoyable process. And um, it brings great joy um, for, for those. But now it's important though to say that some people don't find reading enjoyable. And I think we'll get to that later. Yes. But uh, when I say reading's enjoyable, um, I always qualify that for people who um, are confident with their reading so yeah so yeah so um basically it's a culture where we want a reading culture where reading is valued for a whole variety of reasons and that reading culture we have this cycle of positivity and a buzz around reading that creates a community where we um know all these things about reading and we know that it um it, that it helps us to become lifelong readers that's fantastic and there was something that you said as well about being fluent. So this reading program that we just started at my school in Dubai um, with Reading Plus, the whole thing about reading fluency and actually realizing and looking now we've had the data come back from the baselines, how many of our students were not even at comprehension level yet because their fluency is so poor and you think, you know, we yeah. do we don't enjoy things that are difficult and taxing and, and looking yeah. at the data that we've just got in, I'm thinking, my goodness me, you know, we do really need to support these students to become fluent so that it's not quite as painful and as taxing for them to read. Absolutely. How are they going to enjoy anything when it becomes this much of a struggle? And like you say, that whole idea about it being demotivating, you know, it's it's something that we really have to kind of kind of crack first, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. We want them to be able to laugh at books and cry at books and, you know, feel outrage and et cetera. But um, if they're struggling to decode words on the page and mm-hmm. forget by the end of the paragraph what happened at the beginning, there's no pleasure in that, right? So it's, um, it is making sure that they've got the skill. Um, Teresa Kremen at the Open University talks about um, the will leads to the skill. So you need to have the motivation, but there also needs to be the skill there. So it is important to put, um, to help them with reading motivation, but also to make sure that they've got what's needed as far as decoding coding's concerned and as far as um, fluency and comprehension and all those areas. Okay, so you have explained why it's important to have in a school, but what does it look like? When I look on your website and I see what you tweet, I mean, the things that you do and the things that are in place are incredible. What does your reading culture look like in your school? So a positive reading culture is basically that students are enthusiastic about reading books of their choice. And that's something we all aspire to. It's not that every single student at King Alfred's um, joyously selects books. Um, <laughs> it's a work. It's a work in progress, right? So, um, so, and I think the reading culture. There's a whole number of um, components of making sure that students are enthusiastic. Number one for me would be a dynamic library, and um, that is something I really had to work towards and we might talk about that later that Mm -hmm. was not in place when I first came so there has to be a dynamic library with um, fresh books and a wide range of books and um, staff that's supportive and help students with selection Uh, I think uh, for a reading culture to exist at a school you need to have a supportive senior leadership team and you know at KA's that was a sort of three years ago now it was a transformational moment when um the slt decided actually we are reading school and promoted the school as such and everything that i was going for was supported Mm -hmm. by the slt and that really helped Uh, i think it's important to have time and space carved out for reading so if we say we're reading school but don't make any time for that that is a bit hypocritical and um that can be in different ways so some schools do tutor reading programs we don't because of the nature of our tutor times they're too short but um that is a brilliant way uh we have um once per fortnight reading lessons and then we have a reading policy where students have a book with them at all times and they read at the beginning of many lessons uh, for five minutes or so um so there is consistent reading throughout the day and there are tutorials where there is reading for pleasure time as well so it's a book of their choice okay um and then i would say um it's day-to-day interactions as well so it's um do students what do they see so we have um, these wonderful library windows with books in our collection their decals and um, they see that they see um, displays around with reading they hear staff talking about reading and it's not just english staff um, support staff um, the the people you know the site staff that go around and you know move things we'll talk about reading so we we want this dynamic kind of discussion around reading and of course um reading culture positive reading culture you think about Students need to show that they're proud of their reading. And, and we use Accelerated Reader, which not okay. all students do, but we, um, it's worked for us. And uh, we have um, students with Word Millionaire badges. And last year, we had 112 students of uh, get Word Millionaire badges, which was brilliant. That was 23% of our cohort. Wow. We are seven and eight. And you know what made me the most happy and reflected on the positive reading cultures? They're all happy to wear it. 50% of those were boys. And then the previous year was 58% were boys. And we're, you know, more or less 50-50 with uh, girls and boys. So, and we have students that wear those reading badges into year 10. We do accelerated reader only for year seven and eight, but they'll continue mm-hmm. to wear those badges because it's a celebration of reading. I'm proud that I'm a reader. 
And I think that's one of the things that says the most about our reading culture. Um, I think the reading culture is, and I always talk to parents about this, we meet you where you're at, so uh, where the students are at. So we have students who come in who are keen readers, and we put lots of activities and events in place for them, um, which I can talk about if you want. Uh, yes. We also have students who are, um, who are reluctant or struggling, and we meet them where they're at. We say, you know, that's okay. Uh, we understand you find it difficult or that you haven't found a book that, that um, you enjoy yet. Let's, let's see what we can do, right? And we work with them where they're at and no judgment. It's not that you yeah. have to do this. We'll work with you where you're at over a period of time. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I think um, the staff enthusiasm is really important. And um, I like when staff share their own personal reading journey. So I ask tutors to talk about your own experiences. And it might be that you are reluctant as a teenager. In a way, that's powerful to talk to students about and how did you overcome that so um so all those sorts of um there are many many different components to the reading culture but those are some of the key ones that i would flag how have you managed to get staff buying this is a very personal question on my behalf because this is something that i'm really looking and keen to kind of hone in on at the moment how have you managed to do that yeah so i use four words when i talk about anything to do with reading building a reading culture they're enthusiastic enthusiastic relentless, strategic, and resilient. And for staff, it has been over time. There, again, no magic wand. It's mm -hmm. talking about it again and again and again over time. And, you know, being really enthusiastic about it and offering staff opportunities. So we do staff reading bingo over the summer. We do staff book club. Um, we have um, various other sorts of uh, staff book swap in the staff room. So there's loads of books in the staff room. And it's really nice that over a period of time, everybody in the school will come up to me and to each other and say, oh, this is what I'm reading at the moment. So that has taken a while to build up and that's about their personal reading. When it comes yeah. time to um, reading, to encouraging reading for pleasure, I haven't won every battle. Um, you know, I've had ups and downs with this. You know, I've had world book days where I've tried to do book in a day and some teachers have said, well, I'm gonna do my lesson instead. You know, it's uh, so that can yeah. be really frustrating uh, and, there's always going to be those sorts of barriers, but the, the whole idea is the resilience. Okay, that didn't work well. Try it again, right? And it's, uh, and you know, I try to uh, sell them the pitch of why this is important. That's those same reasons why read the five. I talk to staff about that, and they do over time see students engage with reading. They hear them um, talk about books enthusiastically, and that helps. And they also have a turnaround. So I had a French teacher just last week who came up to me and she said, you know, you've been talking about this for years. She's been at school for years. And, um, and she said, you know, I gave myself a challenge over the summer. I'm going to read three books over the, uh, over the summer. And that's because she wanted to model for the students what, what it looks like to stick with something and to get better at something. And she talked to students then about her journey, that she read these books and she's so proud of herself. And it wasn't easy to concentrate, but once she was into the book, she really enjoyed it. And now she's really proud of herself. So I think um, it's building it up over time. And some people are easy wins. You know, there's always a couple of dozen people I know will do exactly what I ask. Um, yeah. There are others who are sort of in the middle who are very busy, right? So it's try it is time consuming to, to, for them to put things into place perhaps, but I try little things, little wins for them that don't take too much time and effort. And then over time, I try to build up a, um, a sense that they value uh, what we're doing with reading at King Alfred's. 
that is honestly such a good piece of advice for me because again it's that whole idea of just like slowing down taking my time yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I've been there a month but as I'm listening to you I'm thinking about schools that I've worked in previously and having friends who you know friends colleagues who would quite proudly say to students well I never liked reading I don't like reading and kind of reinforcing the message that you don't want getting out there and it's the similar thing and I've mentioned something similar on one of my shows before you know I'm not very confident with maths but it's not something that I would ever say to my students because I don't want to enforce their lack of confidence yeah. and it's it's again reframing I think the things that we're saying and the way we're even thinking ourselves a little bit to kind of support any initiative that's going on in school. Yeah yeah I agree with that and it is one of those things that we have teachers who are dyslexic who find reading aloud difficult and Mm -hmm. what I tell them is just tell the students be honest say this is really hard for me I know I'm gonna mess up some words that's okay it's okay and you know when I read aloud to students I always mess up with some words as well and I always stop and say look what I've just done I've made a mistake that's perfectly fine fine yeah. fluent readers always make mistakes and um that's okay and we just go back and fix it right so it's um I think just being honest when you struggle or when you have difficulties and telling students so that they feel like they're seen the students who feel similarly I think again that's something so important I had Chris Curtis on the show a few weeks ago and he said something very similar you know own my mistakes and it could be in any setting but I think students just expect us to come in and deliver a perfect lesson um I've got somebody coming in as an English support next week we don't have any um TA support in English at the moment and she's qualified English teacher and she said I don't know what I'm going to do if I see like an error on a powerpoint and I said well I'll tell you now if I'm making lessons on a weekend or it's late at night or I'm rushing it will happen and I would rather as and I said if I spot it or I encourage the students to spot it because yeah. it's all about learning. I said, exactly. so please please don't feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> if I say yeah. something or you see something, you spot something that's not right, because I think we should be promoting that, that it's all part of learning, isn't it? It's developing and growing our skills, whatever that might look like. Exactly, yeah. And with the um, teachers, there's another thing that I do is look into their subjects and precisely what they need. So one of the things that I looked at was a, uh, I looked at all the exam papers and I looked at the readability requirements of those particular exams and did an an analysis. So I, um, from all subjects, basically DT and, and maths and everything. And it was a minimum reading age of 13 and a half. Yeah. From a practical point of view, they need for their students to read fluently to be able to access the papers. And then I'm also trying to link into their subject interests. So um, this year I've been working on um, six different lists um, and they are, I've got, um, the lists are read your way around the world, read your way through a changing planet, read your way to through numbers and fiction and nonfiction, read your way through history read your way through the human experience. And I don't know if I said read your way around the world, but those are the, the lists and they're cross-curricular lists. And I have fiction and non-fiction books that I'm recommending for Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4, Key Stage 5. And we're getting subject teachers to promote those as well because the broader and deeper knowledge that they gain through reading, um, first of all, helps the classroom environment and helps for dynamic discussions. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it gives them a little bit of extra Um, for uh, future study um, in the long term and also for GCC or A-level exams in the shorter term. I think that's a really, really wonderful idea because if it's getting cross-curricular, then it is going to get students, especially when they've got interests that aren't English. Um, 
this is the first truly international school that I've ever taught in. And that's something, and it takes time. Alice, I don't know how you do it, to be honest, because you create so many reading lists. But I've just started putting together one of my own, um, looking at books from different parts of the world, because, you know, I want, even just when we're having cultural discussions and lessons, you know, I'm realizing students have got so many different experiences from all over the world that I should be capitalizing on that to start with, you know, like books that are present yeah. from yeah. further from the Middle East, from everywhere in the world, so that it can engage students in cultures that, you know, their families may know, but they maybe don't know because they've not lived yeah. there since they were more yeah. children. Yeah, so I've worked on, um, I finished the Key Stage 3 part of the Read Way Around the World, and I was really trying to focus on own voices as well, so people from the area that wrote a novel that's a middle grade novel, et cetera, rather than, uh -huh. you know, um, people that are not from that country writing about it. It's not that they're not valuable. It's just that if we can get own voices, it's really good. So I've sort of got around the world and it is, um, you know, ask how, how I find the time I've been doing this for, I mean, my, you know, my, my oldest is 25 now. So it's, uh, <laughs> I've been really busy with young people's fiction for a very long time and intensively busy for 15 years. So over a period of time you develop, um, you develop an expertise. And I do spend quite a lot of time on that as well. Certainly those lists take me a long time in the summer. Um, I always do them in August in the summer and it, it takes me a good week and a half or so to go through it. And I try to read over the course of the year. So um, I'm keeping track of all my reads this year on Twitter. And I try to challenge myself to read outside perhaps my comfort zone. And this year um, I challenged myself to read graphic novels and um, that was something I hadn't done before, graphic novels and some picture books as well. Uh -huh. so I've been doing that and they're actually quicker reads, but um, I read a whole range of stuff, some longer books, some shorter books. I'm on, uh, I think 115, just this calendar year. Oh my goodness. Uh, books. Um, and it's just, that's what I do. That's um, how I relax and how I um, find out about other places and people and et cetera. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, I enjoy it. So it's lucky that it's a hobby as well as useful professionally. See, I love to read, but I'm one of those terrible readers. I need to get a little bit more um, self-restraint, I think, because when I start reading, I can't stop. So mm -hmm. during my biggest problem during term time is if I'm into, if I'm into a book, I can't put it down. And <laughs> that's fine in the summer holidays, but one o'clock in the morning, and I'm thinking I really yeah, need to go yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of finding that, that level of restraint. Um, I'm just going to play the news for a couple of minutes and yep, then we're going to come back and carry on our conversation. But for anybody listening, I'm with Alice Bissafuri and we are talking about promoting a reading culture and we've got loads more to discuss. So stay with us. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Gawain. The Scotsman reports that Scotland is to benefit from one of the strongest networks for the delivery of financial education to young people, with approval now granted for Young Enterprise Scotland to take on a wide-reaching venture helping school leavers to manage money. Evidence was submitted to the all-party parliamentary group on financial education for young people that more than half of UK teenagers have struggled with debt before their 17th birthday, and more than two-thirds of young people 
lack the confidence to plan their financial future. Youth Enterprise Scotland will take on the delivery of CIFIT's programmes to S6 pupils across 250 schools after the Stuart Ivory Financial Education Trust decided to pass on its expertise to an organisation with greater resources. Youth Enterprise Scotland Chief Executive Jeff Leask describes the tie-up as a game-changer. He said the CIFIT resources and depth of reach add significant value to our portfolio of resources. The prospect now exists to implement a new blended financial education model of delivery that ensures that financial educations are not delivered in isolation, but through a more holistic approach that achieves a greater impact in the long term. Wales is set to become the first UK nation to make the teaching of black, Asian and minority ethnic histories and experiences mandatory in the school curriculum. The new curriculum for Wales guidance is due to be signed off next month, but the announcement coincides with the start of Black History Month. The new curriculum is set to be introduced in September 2022 and includes six areas of learning. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said, It is vitally important that our education system equips our young people to understand and respect their own and each other's histories, cultures and traditions. Today's announcement will enrich the new curriculum and therefore teaching in Wales for years to come. The announcement was welcomed by trade unions. Mike Payne, GMB senior organiser said, it's excellent news that this part of Welsh history is finally being recognised and put on the curriculum. This has been your daily education news briefing. So welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Rebecca Ricketts, and I am joined by Alice Bissafuri, who is a literacy specialist, reading intervention specialist, and English and history teacher. I'm hoping that I'm getting all of those roles right, Alice, because I feel like that's, that's a lot. Right. You got it, you got it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so far this evening, I have been absolutely blown away with your passion and how inspirational you are in terms of creating a reading culture. This is such a huge area of interest for me. So anybody who else who else is listening at home, I hope you are taking just as much away from this as I am. This feels like I'm literally getting my own personal coaching session, so I do apologize. It feels like a very selfish radio show to have this Monday, but I am thoroughly enjoying myself, so thank you. Me too, it's my pleasure. Oh, fantastic. So um, we kind of touched on it just before the news, but I just wanted to kind of wrap up because as English teachers, I know you're a history specialist as well. We do tend to be at the forefront of literacy and reading initiatives. Um, how can we encourage other people from other subject areas to be literacy leads? My head of my head's teacher the other day said to me, I love everything you're putting in place, but we really need to get other departments on board. And I'm like, I know I'm chomping at the bit, but it'd be really lovely to get somebody else who's not an English teacher. How, how do you find going around that kind of thing? So um, what I was mentioning before, um, 
show them why it's relevant to them. So um, when you have GCSE papers, it's quite easy to take the GCSE papers or any sort of exam papers and put them through a toast text analyzer. It's A-T-O-S. It's free. And you can copy and paste the text and you then see what reading age it comes up with. It's a U.S. system. So you need to add one year for the U.K. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you create that sort of a um, visual for staff about the sorts of reading requirements that are necessary for their subjects, they understand the significance and impact of literacy. So that is sort of the practical reason why they might want to. Uh And then, of course, there's the moral imperative as well. Um, We talk about the sorts of things that students should be able to read uh, when they are adults. So um, the average reading age of the son would be nine years old. Yes. And the guardian is more 15, right? So it's um, people should be able to make a choice, right? Uh, what they want to read. It, the guardian, we don't want that or anything like that to be too difficult for them. So it's the moral mm-hmm. imperative of ensuring um, fluency for everybody. And I think that's everybody's responsibility. It's not English teachers' responsibility. It's all of us together that um, ensure that the students go, leaving our education system are able to uh, take uh, to confront whatever comes at them, right? So that they're able to take on uh, whatever reading challenges come at them. And of course, ideally, enjoy uh, reading as lifelong readers. That's the thing, isn't it? Lifelong readers, understanding yeah. that it's not just because they're English teachers ramming it down yeah. <laughs> yeah. their yeah. throat. Yeah. Um, this leads me on to probably one of the biggest questions I'm going to ask you today. Um, but how can teachers support or encourage a student who's not a confident reader? So I'll come back to those four words again. And it's enthusiastic, relentless, strategic and resilient. And there is, as I've said repeatedly, no magic wand for students who find it difficult. And I saw on Twitter somebody was asking about um, a child with a physical aversion to books. They almost seem to back away. Uh, I think for, and I've got students like that as well. So um, it's not going to be overnight that they're going to love books. It's a Uh process. And it starts with meeting where they're at and saying, I understand. It's like a parenting thing as well, where you you have to acknowledge their, uh, where they're at at the moment, acknowledge the emotions that they feel. And, you know, I understand that you don't enjoy that at all. Um, Let's see what we can do. And um, it, it, what you want to do for those students in particular is work on the reading mo- motivation, reading enthusiasm. Uh-huh. And there's not one right strategy for that. So um, the things that I tend to use, there's a variety of different things. Um, it is, um, I tend to use the graphic novels. Um, Barrington Stoke, now Barrington Stoke is a brilliant publisher that many people yeah. are familiar with, that um, they do um, super readable books and they are dyslexia friendly. The Oxford University Press has a new super super readable series, which is brilliant, that our students have really enjoyed. And um, we also have many of the short books from Badger Learning and um, other uh, publishers. And what we're looking for is give them reading success. So these are students who feel like reading failures. They're not, but they feel like reading failures and we want them to experience reading success. So in order for that to happen, they need to be able to finish books and um, pat themselves on the back and feel like readers. So I have students who are um, reluctant or struggling who say, I've never read a book in primary school. And um, they come to us and, Miss, Miss, I've read 27 books. And they are very short, right? They are short books, but they're so proud of themselves. And they, the difference is huge in their self-perception. 
They yes. need to see themselves as readers in order to become better at reading. So that's Teresa Kremen's thing again. The will leads to the skill. So um, meet the students where they're at. Of course, you look at their individual interests. So if uh, I've got a student who um, loves fishing and um, we were looking into various books that would appeal to him mm -hmm. that um, linked into his personal interests or basketball, or I've got one um, on Friday, I had cricket. So I had pay attention Carter Jones for that child. And um, he was really enthusiastic about reading something that he's, that links into a novel that links into something that he is really passionate about. Okay. So we've got that. So tailor, tailoring to the individual interests. And I also use some kind of tricks sometimes. So um, I'll have a book that secondary school and I'll say, um, talk to a student maybe in year seven or year eight and say, oh, I love this book. Oh, oops. There's some bad words in here and there's a bit of, Lang a bit of violence as well. Sorry, sorry, you're too young for this. And then they always want it, right? So it's like, <laughs> it'll be really minor stuff. So, you know, one of the Lark, for example, by An uh, Anthony McGowan. So there is a bit of language in there. It's not too bad. But the sort of idea that it's forbidden and they couldn't have it is um, something that really appeals to them. And that works quite well um, for a lot of students. And then, of course, we put in place um, for some students, all those things um, are not enough. They need to have reading interventions. And mm -hmm. um, we put all series of things in place. Today, we started up again our reading partner program, which is magnificent. I'm just so pleased with um, this program and the fact that we're able to do it again after um, COVID when we weren't able to. And it's basically trained community volunteers, mostly retired, and they um, come to the library and they have one-on-one -on -one sessions with our students. I'm there the whole time to support. Yeah. I get the students and you know bring them um, to and from the uh, from the sessions so that they're in the right mind frame. And it's so lovely to see these students sit there with this adult and have a positive experience of reading, lots of positive reinforcement, talking about vocabulary and what do you think is going to happen? And wow, that makes me curious for those 30 minutes uh, once a week. And um, we've seen quite dramatic improvement in students' test results, because uh, we do test them four times a year to see where they're at with their reading. And um, as a result of that program, so we had, uh, oh, sorry, the cat just jumped in. Working from home, the cat just jumped on my lap. No, don't worry, uh, I keep yeah. looking at mine. Asleep, yeah. and I'm like, please stay there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's all right. Um, so um, so the, those students need to have those sorts of interventions. And then we use a program called IDL as well for some of the students that need some support with decoding. So okay. there's really a whole range of, of interventions. And sometimes there's a student that I'm thinking of that um, I worked on her for a couple of years and she was always, no, I don't want that book. And I give her one and she said, okay, I'll try it. No, I didn't like it. No, I didn't like it. And this must've happened 40 times. And finally year 10, um, I, I got a book and she said, miss, miss, I loved it. And I was just like, oh, wow. I've been working That's the moment. Years. Yeah. That's the moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's the magic, isn't it, that we talk about bottling exactly, up right there. Yeah. I, I started crying. I was crying. It was so yeah, <laughs> I think I would have been the same. Um, what you just said there about having community volunteers come in sounds so lovely. And as you were talking, I've just written down parental involvement. You know, we it's a very different atmosphere. Obviously, you know the international teaching circuit. Like Dubai, it's quite difficult to get that kind of um, – community involvement but even just thinking about getting parents to come in and just be a little bit of a sounding board and also getting parents to realize the importance do you find is it just me that when students get into secondary school a lot of parents think that's it they don't need to read aloud anymore it's like okay yeah. job done they're at secondary school anymore that's a very primary school thing for me 
I seem to find that that's a huge drop-off and that's probably when students need it more than ever. Yeah, so that's one of my big passions as well. So I have a um, two-page document that I give to parents, which are ideas to encourage reluctant and struggling readers. And one of my chief ideas is continue to read aloud. And my own um, children were fluent readers, but I still read aloud to them till 15 or something. So, um, uh, and we still listen to audiobooks together even now. So uh-huh. uh, reading aloud is really important. So when I talk to parents on individually, that's probably the first thing I'll say is read aloud. Now, of course, I'm working with some parents and I'm conscious of that, that not all parents will be equally confident with reading. So I sort of gauge where they're at with the reading, uh, their own reading, right? So um, because yes. I also talk, give them, I say either read aloud or listen to audiobooks together. And audiobooks, of course, are available for free from uh, libraries. Yeah. Uh, we have some as well um, that we let students borrow. So um, listening to books is a powerful way to expose students to story, to vocabulary, to syntax, etc. The only thing they don't get from it is the punctuation and the decoding mm-hmm. but it is um, there is evidence to show that just reading helps students to make significant progress so absolutely i would recommend that parents read continue to read aloud whether or not their children are fluent readers i'm really really glad you said that because that is something i've, I've got this parent meeting i've mentioned at the start of the show i've got parents meeting on wednesday it's the first time in my new role that I'm actually going to speak to parents in the capacity of head of English. And that I think is like one of the first things that I'm going to say. So I'm really, really pleased that that's something that you advocate as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and other things I talk to them about, um, parents, I talk about, um, get, get the young people to read aloud to younger siblings or, Mm -hmm. and I did this with my own um, child. He was, when he was around 10, he went through a reluctant, reluctant reader phase. He read aloud to our dog. And uh, I said, you know, 15 minutes a day, read aloud to the dog. It'll calm the dog down, right? Because the dog was a bit, was a puppy and very lively. And uh-huh. so, um, and that worked brilliantly. He read aloud to the dog. There was no pressure, no judgment from the dog, etc. And the dog seemed to love it as well. Because every time after that, when I read aloud, he came up and jumped on the bed and wanted to listen to the story. So it was... Uh, <laughs> I feel was, like you uh, just preempted my next question because I was actually going to ask you what your thoughts were about reading dogs. Because in my head, I love the idea, but I don't know if it's just because it's a fad that I've a dog into school and um, have you ever tried it is it something that yes, you would encourage we have um yes uh, we have um two working dogs at school and they are um the student manager's dogs and we had a breakfast and book ses- session and she brought her dogs with her and the children love to read aloud to the dog so it was a really nice um, environment. We didn't have enough people to uh, adults for the students to read to, so two of them read to dogs, and it was oh. it was great. And it's just I think it takes off the pressure uh, when they feel a bit embarrassed because they don't know a word or struggle with um, sounding something out. The dog doesn't judge them, right? And the dog cuddles up to them, and um, yeah, I think they're brilliant. Well, that's what I'd read in terms of the theory behind it, and I just keep thinking. I would just love to try it. And I have Googled it and done a lot of research here in Dubai and there is that as an option. So I feel like it's something I want to take to my line management this week. Yeah. <laughs> and ask, because I would absolutely love, 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 love to have a reading dog. I think it would mm. be amazing. Mm. Um, I can't believe time is absolutely running away from us. So I'm going to keep cracking on with my questions because I still have so many. We might have to do a part two. <laughs> um, <laughs> So on your website, readingforpleasureandprogress.com, um, there's a lot of resources. I mentioned this at the start of the show. You've got loads of resources on there. But one of the things that you have got is a very clear and strategic overview of a plan for building a reading culture. 
How yeah. long realistically are we talking that that takes to create, to embed such a visible culture? And where did you start? Okay, so um, I think I've, that's a five-year plan. And I think okay. I'm looking at that sort of time frame, um, depending on how much support there is from senior leadership, et cetera. Where we started, so I started from scratch, basically. So the library was used for detentions and um, um, for meetings. There was outdated book stock, no displays. None of the English teachers even ever talked about reading for pleasure. And the right. first, first parents' um, English evening that we had, I asked for a slot and they gave me a slot at the end of the evening, which was about two minutes long to talk about reading for pleasure. So it mm -hmm. was really um, not valued. Uh, there was no monitoring of reading attainment. So we didn't really know where our students were at with reading. And we didn't have any interventions in place other than uh, putting students in a bottom set. And that ended up having, uh, once, once I put uh, monitoring in place, it had a negative impact. So they got worse at reading um, as a result of the um, that strategy. So, uh, and literacy was spag, right? So I'm sure that you're afraid, you know, that's the only thing that literacy was. It wasn't about reading or um, developing writing skills, et cetera, it was spag. Um, mm -hmm. So I had some work to do. And um, I think this whole just being persistent and really clear with what you want to achieve over a period of time. And I wanted to build that reading culture. And I thought about in order to build that reading culture, what do we need to do? Well, the first thing, the library needs to change, right? So we need to have a dynamic library space with a welcoming uh, member of staff to help students. So I worked on that. I worked on making sure that we could monitor where students were at with our reading and we chose to use Accelerated Reader. Um, some schools have been very successful with it. We're one, uh, but other schools don't like it and that's fine. It's up to the school and the school culture. But for us, it really has helped me to drive forward the reading agenda because I've got data that helps me to show um, to show the governors and senior leadership and et cetera, what's happening yeah. and why that's happening. So it's been really helpful for, um, for me to be able to put that in place. Um, so I talked about, uh, and then of course they, I needed to shift the, the staff culture and get staff to think about the importance of reading for pleasure. And in a way, um, I was lucky because the timing was such that that started to come out in the, you know, various education reports and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And Ofsted mentioned it as well. So the timing was good because other people started to recognize it. So it wasn't just me saying that reading for pleasure was important. Um, so yeah, that helped as well. Um, so I think um, five-year plan and what within that is your most important priority, break it down. And you're not gonna be able to get all that stuff in the immediate, but how, what's most important and then what's your next step. And once you've achieved that, what's your next step after that? So it has taken me, you know, we are almost five years now since I, I started um, this whole program and it, and it has taken me that long to get where we're at and I still have uh, room to grow. So um, yeah. I talk about a journey with speed bumps and detours and et cetera, and it's not going to be a smooth trajectory, but it is a trajectory. So it's heading in a particular direction and that's what uh, we're looking for. I mean, it's very clear based on everything that you've put out there that it is definitely going in that trajectory, but you're right, you know, progress isn't linear, is it? But so yeah. here in Dubai, um, we're observed every year. We're, it, it's called the KHDA, which is like Ofsted. And reading has its own agenda. So for me, when you say data-driven, you know, that's where I'm looking first, really, so that I've got evidence to demonstrate that we are, despite whatever our starting points are, which for a lot of students 
are not positive. You know, we've got some real mountains to climb with a lot of these students. And when you're saying to me, what is, you know, you're saying, what is the most important? I'm writing down, I'm thinking, right, okay, this is so great because it's enabling me strategic. I'm thinking about what we can do in terms of building that plan. I mean, I certainly feel like I've got the enthusiasm for it. So it is, it's about strategy now and thinking about, okay, how can we take what we have? And I love the idea that, you know, it is data-driven, rooted in that, so that then we can start thinking about how we drive that forward. Mm. Um, thinking, and we have touched upon this already, but I would like to take us back there a little bit. Um, how can schools support families to develop confidence in the love of reading? You did mention earlier, you know, we are aware as teachers that there are some parents and families that aren't massively confident when it comes to reading. What do you do to support that kind of situation? Yeah, so I, I mentioned before that, uh, well, I always talk about the fact that I have five children and that a personal experience of, you know, a variety of different sorts of readers, they weren't all equally keen all the time. And I talk about my personal experiences with them and what has worked. And um, I know, for example, that audiobooks are brilliant. And um, what I talk to families about is that you can get an audiobook for free from the library and listen mm -hmm. to it as a family. And it's a bonding experience. So there are audiobooks that we've listened to a decade ago. So Stop the Train by Geraldine McCarbery. And we listened to maybe a decade ago. We still talk about that. And um, it comes up. It's part of our shared family experience. So it's helping the young people with reading. And it's also creating this sort of shared family experience. So audiobooks would be um, a way to develop confidence and a love of reading that is, is accessible for all, regardless of how confident they feel with their reading. And then I have, um, I always provide up-to-date book lists, and we already talked about those, but I refresh them every year, and they are, uh, I hand them out to parents and make them on the, uh, available on the website uh, so that they can get Christmas gifts and et cetera um, for their um, children, because it's hard to keep on top of the market, and then only a supermarket will see, you know, David Williams and a few other um, titles, but they want a wider range, and I think making that available for them, so I've done the legwork, um, helps to helps them to feel confident that they're getting books that are the right level for their uh -huh. children and that'll be interesting and engaging for them. And then I have, you know, for their, if they're reluctant or struggling, I have a whole series of strategies. Um, I'll put that up on my, um, on Twitter again, because I've got that, that letter with maybe 20, 25 ideas for, um, for parents who have <laughs> struggling or reluctant uh, readers. See, that would be brilliant. And thank you so much for linking back to your Twitter, because that would be so helpful for anybody that is listening in today, I'm going to cough, sorry, because <laughs> so enthusiastic. Um, on a personal level, again, this is something that we have kind of touched upon those moments where you end up crying because the student tells you that they've enjoyed a book, but could you please share some of your greatest reading success stories or moments that you've had? Yeah, so we had um, a child um, who came into um, year seven with a key stage two sats of 92, so well below average. Mm -hmm. His star test in year seven, he started with a reading age of around eight and a half or so. Okay. Um, and he, um, so he was struggling reader and he was also a read file child. So it was complex. Um, his feelings about school were complex and um, a bit of attitude and etc. And he uh, he was actually a child that where we see real success with Accelerated Reader in particular because he loved it. He loved the idea of quizzing on books. Uh, we don't ever restrict students, they don't have to read the books that are 
precisely their level. We encourage it. But if they want to read books, they're too hard. That's fine. He was determined. And his mom was supportive as well. So he started reading um, the Christopher Polini books, which are super long, um, the Aragon series. Um, and he loved it. And, and it was hard for him. And um, he kept then... He kept at it, though. He was so determined. Mum read aloud um, chapters and chapters, and then he would read aloud a bit, etc. And it was amazing. By the end of year eight, he had a standardized score of 119, so a reading age of oh 14 years and 10. And he had read in just that one year, in year eight only, almost 3 million words. So, um, and he, was, uh, he changed learning paths. It changed his life, right? So it was um, one of those where you think, wow, that child came in as a reluctant and struggling reader. And um, he turned it around. And, you know, that was because he was motivated to get better and just kept reading and kept reading. So that was a really great story. And then there's lots of the stories where we have, um, and I'm, it, I often think of boys in particular, because it's one of the areas where I'm really pleased with what we've done at King Alfred's is that um, at our school, boys read and um, that's going against national trends because generally boys drop off um, at this mm -hmm. age. But, you know, stories like we have um, a, a boy who was a reluctant reader who came in um, doing a rugby elective. He came in his full rugby gear uh, with a rugby ball after school just to come and tell me, Miss, Miss, I just finished this book and I, I just want to do the quiz on it really quick before I go to my rugby. And, you know, it's, it's just you think, wow, this child is about to go off to rugby and um, had been quite reluctant before and actually now is so keen to show me that he's read this book, um, that he's coming in and missing the first few minutes of his rugby elective. So I just thought, wow, that's that's brilliant. And then all the ones who um, who talk about how confident they are um, at reading and that they have become because they have read so much. So it's normally the students that I'm that I am most proud of are the ones who found it difficult and have managed to turn it around. Um, and of course, I already told the story about teachers as well. So I had that French teacher that I talked yeah. about earlier who um, and other members of staff as well who have said that the reading culture at King Alfred's has helped them personally to read more as well. And I think that's quite lovely to see as well that you see among all age site staff, people who come up to me and say, oh, I read, I did the summer reading bingo and I read four books for that and tell me what they read and share their reading journeys, et cetera. So um, there's so many, it's every single day, there's, there's something that's lovely. I just love that idea of the fact that students are so, you know, they, they know as well coming to speak to you about it, they're gonna get that positive reinforcement that they're looking for. They want to tell you that yeah. they're coming yeah. to do their quiz and they know that that's something that you know, is going to be celebrated. It's clear that they can see your passion as well. And I'm just, I'm hoping that as time goes on and this starts to embed in my school and my culture, like, and the reading culture that I really want to create, our students are going to feel something very similar to. I really like as well, um, I just want to go back over the fact and reinforce this idea of audiobooks and making reading accessible. I know a lot of adults that didn't enjoy reading when they were younger, but they actually now, you know, they'll listen to an audiobook on the way to work. I used to car share way back when I was still in North Yorkshire um, with a colleague, and we used to sit on a morning and we didn't even speak, and we used to read together. We would just listen to an audiobook, and it was a lovely shared experience that I had, and it was a guy that didn't really know in the school, it was just because we came from a similar area and we have to commute 40 minutes into work, but it became something that really bonded us. And I think it's really lovely that I had that shared experience with somebody, you yeah. know, in the car. And audiobooks are something that I think 
a student said to me the other day, oh, when we're reading, can we read an audiobook? And I think they thought they were trying to be funny. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally down for you reading an audiobook. Yeah. I was like, if you really want to, if you want to push yourself and read the hard copy at the same time, do it. I said, but, and I just relayed exactly what I said to you. I know a lot yeah. of people as adults that that's the way that they read. And if that's how you read and that's how you get pleasure from it, go for it because you're still reading at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've been um, listening to audible books for 10 years now. And one of the, on my pinned tweet, um, it is, has the book list. And one of those is audiobooks that I recommend. And there's for adults and for children, there's a whole range of things, but it's one of my favorite ways to experience books. And of course I like to read paper copies as well. It's just that you get more time. You it, it, So one of the things that the message that you might want to pass along to people is that in order to be effective at promoting reading across the school, you need to read quite a bit yourself and yeah. have things to recommend. And one way to squeeze more time basically into your day is by listening to audiobooks. And that's what I found. So, yeah. I've been known to take it to the gym, you know, and just like yeah. have it going on in the background. Um, and it's killing two birds with one stone the one thing that I do enjoy versus the thing I don't enjoy that much mm. so that mm. definitely helps me when I'm in the gym um my goodness me I keep looking at the time and I think I've still got so many questions but my next question and I can imagine this was a really difficult one for you to answer what is your favorite book to teach what's your favorite book to learn and what is your favorite book to read so yeah I find that a difficult question um and I haven't actually I've only been teaching English for what eight years now so I haven't actually had a huge range of books that I've taught probably my favorite one that I taught was the graveyard book by Neil Gaiman I loved that book <laughs> so the opening you know um, the opening I mean I've yeah. overused that so many times but yeah. how can you not yeah exactly it's brilliant that and it, you know the whole um, the, the the way that the story is told I absolutely loved it so I really really enjoyed teaching that and I used it as a way to um show students various reading strategies yeah um, so um so I really enjoyed teaching that one as far as books to learn and read I'm, I'm really wide-ranging books and there's not one particular book that I feel like that's my favorite book. Um, there are things that strike me at a particular moment. So I've just finished listening to um, to Mildred Taylor's The Land, which uh, most people know, Roll of Con uh, Thunder, Hear My Cry by her. Well, she's got that a series of books and it's the same family. And this one's set post-Civil War. And I just loved it. It was one of those books that um, I was in that world. I learned things about um, the experience of um, formerly enslaved people who had freedom but were facing blatant racism in the South and the resilience. And I just found the character so heroic and um, I was in that world. And I can say that about, you know, a hundred different books. So mm -hmm. it's a really hard question to say which one is my favorite to read because it depends on what speaks to me in a particular moment. And I feel like I like the books best that I learn from where I learn something new that I didn't understand before. I think that's a really good answer though, to be fair, thinking about something that you didn't learn before. For me, um, the catcher in the rye gets me every time just because I found it so difficult to read because I just hated the narrative voice so much. And my dad recommended it to me when I was about 17 and we were on holiday and I kept putting it down and I was like, I can't be doing with this <laughs> and picking it back up again because I was just so frustrated. But at the same time, I was just so engrossed that a book could have that kind of visceral reaction, you know, that I was just yeah. so 
so stressed out, I think, by reading it and so disappointed in reading the narrative that, yeah, I, I remember that really, really sticking with me. And it is that moment, I think, of just trying to find something, that shared experience that you can then pass on to somebody else. Um, So, again, another very personal question. Um, What advice would you give to somebody who's hoping to build a reading culture in their school? I mean, that is literally for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I would say, um, as I just said a couple of minutes ago, there is no replacement for reading widely and it's you know borrow from your own school or public library and listen to audiobooks etc because the way that i've been able to reach staff and students is by showing my passion for reading generally but by talking about individual books and what they meant and being able to match a book with a reader. Um, So um, those sorts of things really make a difference. It could be that there's a librarian that um, can do that job. If there is, uh, if you have a brilliant librarian, you have gold dust, right? So it's, um, yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I would say um, join a reading community. So um, I think, did you talk about the teachers as readers groups from Open University? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, those are brilliant. I had a TRG last year and we're continuing this year um, with that. And there, if you can find one in your area, they're a great way to sort of do that first thing. So it helps you to read a little bit more widely, but also you can talk about various um, ways of building reading cultures. Um, Twitter's brilliant. I mean, there is so much out there on Twitter um, for for anybody who's interested in building a reading community. And um, there's a Reading for Pleasure Facebook group as well. Um, that has a lot oh, of good God. ideas. Yeah, I have, I, I'm, not as, I'm not active in posting on that, but I read the, um, the things from that Facebook group. And there's a lot of great ideas there as well. So I'd say um, those are all sort of the practical things, but it's those four words, again, be enthusiastic and relentless and strategic and resilient uh, if you want to build a reading culture. That's absolutely fantastic and such helpful advice for anybody that is listening or has downloaded the recording today and thinking about things that they can do in developing that reading culture. Somebody who is very much like me in their infancy in developing a reading culture in a school that really does need it. Um, You keep mentioning a library. Um, This is going to be my greatest sticking point. Again, I'm taking this very personally um, Mm -hmm. and taking it down that angle. We don't have a library at Key Stage 3. There's a beautiful, fantastic library for primary school at the moment but not so much at Key Stage 3. So this is something that I'm really having to think about and when I'm thinking about this project that I'm about to undertake, I think for me, it's going to be developing my understanding of children's literature and being really able to help the students pick books that they're going to enjoy. I feel like at the moment when I don't have GCSE, that's something that I will be able to really support them with. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When I started at King Alfred's, they didn't have a library for years nine and 10. Um, that was a battle that I was willing to fight, right? So that was, (laughs) I needed to, um, in in our context, uh, and it's not always the same. Um, there are different contexts where people maybe have books at home, but we have students who have no books that are suitable for their age at home. There needs to be a library. There's no other way, um, to get books to them and get a wide range of books. So for me, that was absolutely essential. Yeah, we have a reading corner and it is growing. And to be perfectly honest, it was your reading list that I downloaded from Twitter and sent to my school principal. And I I was like, look, here it is. It's broken into genre. It could not be more comprehensive in terms of please let's get some of these books ordered because they should hopefully help as many of our students as possible. So thank you all the way from Dubai because... (laughs) 
Your resources have been super helpful for me in starting to even build a small part of what I would like to do in my school. Um, so my final question today, and we've kind of touched on it already, but it helps us just to wrap up a little bit, is just thinking about what reading, research or resources you would recommend for anybody who's interested in supporting Reading for Pleasure with their students. So um, you mentioned my website earlier. Yes. And, and that is readingforpleasureandprogress.com. And the reason why I'm flagging that is because one of the pages on there is useful links. And I spent quite a lot of time putting together um, hyperlinks for everybody involved in literacy and reading. And there's a whole section for reading for pleasure. Um, so it's things like the reading agency and the book trust, books for keeps, authorify, um, open university, of course, the reading for pleasure um, part of that. Mm -hmm. And then I have links to individuals like Anne Thompson does a brilliant weekly bulletin. Um, her Twitter is a library lady and the link is on my website there. And every Saturday morning, it's one of the highlights of my week. She sends this bulletin, which sort of summarizes newly published books and events going on. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's for primary all the way through, um, through secondary. So that is excellent. Um, Scott Evans does videos about coming soon books. If you want to stay on top of what the newest um, videos are and his is Mr. E primary. Okay. Um, Fiona Ritson is brilliant. Always learn web. We've done a um, presentation together. Um, she's uh, a powerhouse within. Yes, yeah, she's fantastic. Isn't she? Yeah. 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 Um, and sort of the Tudor reads Joanne Tiplady. She's brilliant. Miss Joe T is her, um, is her Twitter handle. Um, John Biddle is brilliant with uh, Open University Reading for Pleasure and anything to do with primary. I think he's a year six teacher. So there's quite a lot of crossover and there's many, many more. It's um, and I have a number of them linked on the website. So it's worth just having a trawl through there on that website. There's also links to people that are involved with academic reading. And um, that's another whole area that I work with. So, yeah. Honestly, I cannot thank you enough. I'm just going to play out the adverts one more time and then we will be back just to finish off today's show. So just bear with us for a couple of minutes and we will Super. be back. Thank you. Thank you. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or 
gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. So here we are on Teachers Talk Radio, the Monday Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, live in Dubai, and I have been joined by the very, and I'm going to call you inspirational, Alice Vissafuri. This has been the most incredible conversation today. I mean, I have taken away so much, and I hope that anybody that is listening today or has downloaded the show feels the same. Um, Alice, you've said so many amazing things today in terms of what we can do to be supporting a reading culture. But if I could just get you to sum up, first of all, the reasons why it's important, just one more time to explain to everybody at home, that would be absolutely amazing. Okay, so um, why it's important to have a reading culture. Well, um, I talk about the five different reasons and they are readings linked to academic success. And that is research uh, proven and many different studies that it has a massive impact on not only vocabulary, but on attainment across the subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading helps to increase empathy and reading helps to develop self-confidence and improve self-esteem, makes us feel better about ourselves. Reading fosters an understanding of complex issues and reading is enjoyable. So those are the five areas that I like to focus on when we talk about why a reading culture is so important. And what I'm, what those all mean is that together, when we value those various different reasons for reading, we can build a reading community. And I love the idea of having a reading culture where we share ideas of books that we've um, enjoyed that help us to um, understand a difficult situation or that we have felt that we've learned something from and we share those as part of a reading community so that all of us grow as readers together. I love that idea, growing as readers together, the idea that, you know, we're always constantly, we're always learning, we're always developing, we're always, like you say, growing and building on that culture together. And that leads me very nicely to my Next question, you talk that this is a reading journey, you know, you've created a five-year plan. So what's next for you this academic year and King Alfred's, where are you going next? So we're working on fine-tuning the way that we provide interventions for students who struggle with decoding. Uh, so that's an area for improvement for us because we don't uh, we we have the reading partner interventions, but they're more focusing on reading comprehension. So yeah. we're focusing on decoding. And the other major area um, that we need to develop, we do quite a good job in with year seven and eight. Um, but when it comes to years nine through eleven, there's room for growth. So we want to have more um, events, more activities, more ways of supporting students in key stage four. And um, that is something I'm working on at the moment. So those are areas that we're working on. And as I mentioned already, um, part of both of those things really is um, is these reading lists that I'm creating that are gonna, <coughs> excuse me that are supported by um, subject leads and they're read your way around the world, read your way through history, etc. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be books that can be accessed by all students because there'll be different types of books in different levels and that will encourage them to um, celebrate the reading culture that we have uh, both in key stage three key stage four and in course in key stage five as well 
Alice, I honestly cannot thank you enough for joining me today. Um, everything that you've said has been an absolute wealth of knowledge and the fact that it's research-driven, experience-driven, I'm hoping that it's given as many people for, as it has for me the kind of drive, determination to keep doing what we're doing in our schools as well. So thank you so much for sharing your time today with us. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's been a joy to be able to talk about reading for the last hour. And um, yeah, it's uh, and of course, it's there's many people doing brilliant work in this area. So there's a lot to, we have to learn from each other. A hundred percent, I agree. And I really wasn't joking when I said there may need to be a part two to this conversation. I would absolutely love to have you back and carry on this conversation in a few weeks because I feel that we've only just scratched the surface today. So thank yeah. you. It'd be lovely so to much. talk about academic reading as well, because that's an area we're developing um, at King Alfred's as well. And so okay. uh, like, I can talk more about that. <laughs> academic reading would be wonderful, especially as I'm now looking at building my students from year nine into year 10 and, you know, really starting to think about that leap from key stage three into key stage four. Yeah. Brilliant. So thank you so much for joining us today, Alice. Um, and everybody who is listening at home or downloading the podcast, thank you so much as well for participating. Um, please remember to keep checking in at Teachers Talk Radio because there are loads of topics for us to be sharing. And I will be back with you next Monday, same time, 4pm in the UK. So thank you very much for joining and thank you again to Alice. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.